Let's Be Frank is a podcast centered on interpreting the life of Benjamin Franklin and the times that shaped his thoughts and soul. Some content may not be appropriate for younger viewers. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings and salutations, dear listener. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Let's Be Frank with me, your ever-salubrious and jocund host, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. We have a great deal of ground to cover, and the lives of greater men than myself to explore. But first, dear listener, my auditory junto, my far-flung, industrious, and leather-aproned legion. What are we doing here? <laughs> Just what exactly is this podcast about? Why is Dr. Benjamin Franklin of the 18th century doing a podcast? <laughs> well, allow me to elucidate. To say it simply, an auditory autobiography of your humble servant would be a disservice to not only what I've come to represent, but also to your precious time. Dear listener, which I never intend to draw upon more than is necessary for the gratification of your mind. In this podcast, what I call an auditory almanac for the curious mind, you'll find small nuggets of wisdom, details about my life. Yes, my vanity would never allow for otherwise. But you will also find a rich glimpse of the world as I saw it, of matters scientific, philosophical, natural, and, of course, historical. A world of enlightenment, of contradiction. A world where the youngest son of the youngest son can suddenly snatch lightning from the sky and, despite being born poor, stand before kings. Together, we'll explore the books, the events, the great works of my life that I find most fascinating, and above all, satiate our intellectual appetites, and if I do my work well, we'll all leave more curious than when we first arrived. It's my hope 
in telling these stories, in sharing this time together, you can treat history not as some distant thing, but rather a friend worth discovering to better understand its innovations and learn from its missteps. I have no doubt we will have a great many hard conversations, as well as a great many enlightening ones. It may be a ramble, but one I hope you will indulge me in. So sit back in your best chair for heavy thinking. Uh, Take a deep breath in your motor coach. Uh, Do whatever it is you do when you find yourself in this circumstance. I, I haven't a clue. And let's begin. For purposes of good order, this podcast is composed of three primary sources associated with Dr. Franklin's life, knit together with original writing to collect it all into one narrative on a cohesive theme. Today's episode is about journeys, it's about beginnings, and it's about the sea. It was the ancient historian Plutarch that wrote that it was not his intention to examine history but lives. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but I always found that a novel concept, and hope that in my aspirations in this dear time we might share, dear listener, that we might explore time, my life, and the world with that in mind. In the same vein, Sir Francis Bacon, the great moral philosopher, said that time itself was a plateau, meaning the whole of human history was happening at once. Time was happening at once. Consider that for a moment. The entirety of the rich tapestry of human history laid before you, not as pages on a book, but as an atlas, a map where the rich lives of beings long dead are not separated by years, but rather instead by lines of latitude and longitude. Time reduced to geography. When one looks at it from that perspective, history is not an examination of the mind, but rather instead, miles the soul might travel. Mankind's greatest tragedy inches away, and their greatest innovations just around the corner. I wonder, dear listener, if you adopt this mindset, if you'd like to take a walk with me, Since we find ourselves at the beginning of our journey together, I can think of no better place to start than just that. Beginnings. There are countless beginnings in a man's life, worthy of note, and I should be no different. I suspect there's good earth to sow in my beginnings as a printer, as a scientist, but I think instead, for the better amusement of all, we should begin with my beginnings as a poet. From a child... I was fond of the sea. Swimming was a favorite pastime, and in fact, one of my earliest inventions was a pair of paddles I could hook my thumbs through, allowing me to cut through the water with the grace of any arctic pinniped. Once, upon occasion, I even devised a method in which a swimmer may pass to great distances with much facility by means of a sail. It sounds lofty, I assure you, in reality it was much less so. I made use of a kite to propel my naked form across a mile-wide, shallow creek, a precursor to the pastime of kiteboarding minus the merciful modesty of a wetsuit. Another adored pastime was reading. 
and all the little money that came into my hands was ever laid out in books. This bookish inclination at length determined my father to make me a printer, though he already had one son, my brother James, of that profession. In 1717, uh, my brother James returned from England with a press and letters to set up his business in Boston. I liked it much better than that of my father, but still had a hankering for the sea. To prevent the apprehended effect of such an inclination, my father was impatient to have me bound to my brother. I stood out some time, but at last was persuaded, and signed the indentures when I was yet but twelve years old. I was to serve as an apprentice till I was twenty-one years of age, only was to be allowed journeyman's wages during the last year. In a little time, I made great proficiency in the business, and became a useful hand to my brother. I now had access to better books. Often I sat up in my room reading the greatest part of the night when the book was borrowed in the evening and to be returned early in the morning, lest it should be missed or wanted. Eventually, I took a fancy to poetry and made some small pieces. My brother, thinking it might turn to account, encouraged me and put me on composing occasional ballads. Now, one such was a sailor's song on the taking of Teach, Edward Teach, known by most as Blackbeard. Now then, presented, dear listener, for your ears and edification, I present Dr. Benjamin Franklin's first published work, The Taking of the Pirate Edward Teach. <clears throat> Will you hear of bloody battle lately fought upon the seas? It will make your ears to rattle and your admiration cease. Have you heard of Teach the Rover and his knavery on the main? How of gold he was a lover, how he loved all ill-got gain. When the act of grace appeared, Captain Teach with all his men unto Carolina steered, where they kindly used him then, there he married to a lady and gave her five hundred pound, but to her proved unsteady, for he soon marched off the ground, and returned, as I tell you, to his robbery before, burning sinking ships of value, filling them with purple gore. When he was at Carolina, there the governor did send to the governor of Virginia, there he might assistance lend. Then the man-o'-war's commander, two small sloops he fitted out, fifty men he put on board, sir, who resolved to stand it out. The lieutenant he commanded both the sloops, and you shall hear how before he landed he suppressed them without fear. Valiant Maynard, as he sailed, soon the pirate did espy. With his trumpet he then hailed, and to him they did reply. Captain Teach is our commander, Maynard said, he is the man whom I am resolved to hang, sir, let him do the best he can. Teach replied unto Maynard, you no quarters here shall see, but be hanged on the main yard, you and all your company. Maynard said, I none desire of such knaves as thee and thine, none I'll give, Teach then replied, my boys, give me glass of wine. He took the glass and drank damnation unto Maynard and his crew. To himself and generation then the glass away he threw. Brave Maynard was resolved to have him. 
though he'd cannons nine or ten, teach a broadside quickly gave him, killing sixteen valiant men. Maynard boarded him, and two they fell, with sword and pistol too. They had courage and did show it, killing the pirate's crew. Teach and Maynard on the quarter fought it out most manfully. Maynard's sword did cut him shorter. Losing his head, he there did D. Really forced that rhyme in there, didn't I? Every sailor fought while he, sir, powers had to wield the sword. Not a coward could you see, sir, fear was driven from aboard. Wounded men on both sides fell, sir, t'was a doleful sight to see. Nothing could their courage quell, sir, oh, they fought courageously. When the bloody fight was over, we'd informed a letter writ. Teach's head was made a cover to the jackstaff of the ship. They sailed to Virginia, and when the story told how they'd killed the pirates many, they'd applause from young and old. The end. Please, hold your applause, ladies, gentlemen. Good God. It's wretched stuff, in the Grub Street ballad style, but people read it. This, this flattered my vanity. But my father discouraged me by ridiculing my performances and telling me verse-makers were generally beggars. So I escaped being a poet, most probably a, a very bad one. As a boy of twelve, I heard the news of that fateful battle on the tides of Ocracoke the way countless others in the city would have, in the echoes of taverns and coffee-houses or in the gazettes that passed across my brother's table. Being apprenticed to a printer had its advantages, and I've always possessed a nose for news. The great challenge, and this is perhaps true of all times, is discerning the actual events beside the myth. The death of Blackbeard was sensationalized among the presses and very quickly moved from, well, reality to myth. It was said that after Blackbeard's head was cut off, his body swam round his ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, three times, and upon the lieutenant's faithful return to Hampton Roads, he put Edward Teach's head upon a pike, so that all sailors who got the inkling to turn a quick profit by moving to piracy had fair warning. Now as for Blackbeard's head, well, according to myth... It went missing from that point in Hampton, where it found its way into the capital city of Williamsburg. As the story goes, that head was cast into a silver punch bowl, brought to the Raleigh Tavern, where honest gentlemen could toast the health of the navy and condemn pirates. The story is entirely apocryphal, but it does conjure the imagination far better than the reality. Who is to say what posterity may say of my own myth, but I hope they are gentle with my vices and perhaps indulgent with my virtues. A true account that made its way to the London Gazette in April of 1719 came from none other than Lieutenant Robert Maynard, the hero of my ballad. Maynard's own history is not so sterling as the hero I make him out to be in my spin of the narrative. 
But what survives is his retelling is as close an account to as contemporary audiences can get to what took place on that fateful day in November. Printed in the Weekly Journal or the British Gazetteer, 25th of April, 1719. Now these are Maynard's words. I sailed from Virginia, the 17th past, with two sloops and 54 men under my command, having no guns, but only small arms and pistols. Mr. Hyde commanded the little sloop with 22 men, and I had 32 in my sloop. The 22nd, I came up with Captain Teach, the notorious pirate who has taken from time to time a great many English vessels on these coasts and in the West Indies. He went by the name of Blackbeard because he let his beard grow and tied it up in black ribbons. I attacked him at Cherok in North Carolina when he had on board 21 men and nine guns mounted. At our first salutation, he drank damnation to me and my men whom he stilled cowardly puppies say. He would neither give nor take quarter. Immediately we engaged, and Mr. Hyde was unfortunately killed, and five of his men wounded in the little sloop, which having nobody to command her fell astern, and did not come up to assist me till the action was almost over. In the meantime, continuing the fight, it being a perfect calm, I boarded his sloop, and had twenty men killed and wounded, Immediately thereupon, he entered me with ten men, and twelve stout men I left there fought like heroes, sword in hand, and they killed every one of them that entered, without the loss of one man on their side. But they were miserably cut and mangled. In the whole, I had eight men killed and eighteen wounded. We killed twelve besides Blackbeard, who fell with five shot in him and twenty dismal cuts in several parts of his body. I took nine prisoners, mostly Negroes, all wounded. I have cut Blackbeard's head off, which I have put on my bowsprit in order to carry it to Virginia. I should never have taken him if I had not got in such a hole, whence he could not get out, for we had no guns on board, so that the engagement on our side was the more bloody and desperate. End quote. Whew. I thank Almighty Providence that in my travels I never witnessed anything so eventful at sea perhaps much to the disappointment of my younger self, but the sea has ever inspired me, and like so many other things in the course of my lifetime, I could not help but look at it and leave a legion of thoughts scattered about the subject. In the course of my lifetime, I made several transatlantic voyages across the sea. Three weeks of empty horizon gives one a good deal of time to think, so I took every opportunity to satiate my unending curiosity with musings about the Gulf Stream, the forms of seaweed, the kelp that manifest across the varying degrees, and even render my own hypothesis on how best to accelerate and decelerate the craft of seafare transportation. Now, this story comes from a particular journey across the Atlantic to London when Great Britain and all thirteen of her former colonies were embroiled in the Seven Years' War, uh, what we called the French and Indian War, here on this side of the Atlantic. In 1757, the Assembly of Pennsylvania, which I found myself a member of at that time, finding the Crown's administrations manacling their deputies with instructions inconsistent not only with the privileges of the people, but with the service of the Crown, resolved to petition the King against them. 
and appointed me their agent to go over to England to present and support the petition. Uh, that little detail is of little significance to this particular story. Uh, merely to convey the circumstances, I found myself aboard this particular ship. It was a packet ship, uh, popular in my time, uh, a mid-sized vessel made for the shipping of freight, mail, passengers. Uh, they offered meager comfort for transport, uh, firing, a, a place for cooktop, a place to sleep, and drinking water that often tasted of indigo or tobacco, evidence of what the water casts once held. It may not have held the comforts of home, but still, there were few things more exhilarating than the sea. Our captain of the packet had boasted, over the course of our time together, long before we sailed, how fast his ship was. And unfortunately, when we came to sea, she proved the dullest of ninety-six sail, to his no small embarrassment. After many conjectures respecting the cause, when we were near another ship almost as dull as ours, which, however, gained upon us, the captain ordered all hands to come aft behind the back of the ship and stand as near the ensign staff as possible. We were passengers, included about forty persons, two score, while we stood there, the ship mended her pace, and soon left her neighbor far behind, which proved clearly what our captain suspected, that she was loaded too much by the head, the front of the ship. The casks of water, it seemed, had been all placed forward, weighing her down. These he therefore ordered to be moved back further aft, on which the ship recovered her character, and proved the, the best sailor in the fleet. The captain said she had gone at the rate of thirteen knots, which is accounted of about thirteen miles per hour. We had on board another passenger, a, a Captain Kennedy of the Navy, who contended that it was impossible, that no ship ever sailed so fast, that there must have been some error in the division of the log line, or some mistake in the heaving log. Now a wager, an argument, ensued between the two captains to be decided when there should be sufficient wind. Kennedy thereupon examined rigorously the log line, and being satisfied with that, he determined to throw the log himself. According, some days after, when the wind blew very fair and fresh, and the captain of the packet, uh, Ludwig, said he believed she went at the rate of thirteen knots, Kennedy made the experiment and owned his wager lost. She, indeed, was a fast ship. The above fact I give for the sake of the following observation. It has been remarked as an imperfection in the art of shipbuilding, that it can never be known, till she is tried, whether a new ship will or will not be a good sailor, for that the model of a good sailing ship has been exactly followed in a new one, which has proved, on the contrary, remarkably dull. Even in the simple operation of sailing when at sea, I have often observed different judgments in the officers who commanded the successive watches, the wind being the same. One would have the sails trim sharper or flatter than another, so that they seemed to leave no certain rule to govern by. Yet I think a set of experiments might be instituted, first to determine the most proper form of the hull for swift sailing. After all, this is an age of experiments." and I think a set accurately made and combined would be of great use. I am persuaded, therefore, that ere some long ingenious philosopher will undertake it, to whom I wish success. 
Now in that story somewhere hangs the message for this installment, dear listener. A ship may never know their merit until they're tried. Now, could it be fair to say, dear listener, that the same might be proffered for the race of man? Who among us is not composed of hope or ambition deferred for some idle excuse or another? One who dreams of writing poetry may never take up the pen for fear of breaking the meter. Another who yearns to extol wisdom may never dare utter a sentence for fear of being perceived a fool. A nation may never rise to the height of its glory due to a citizenry believing it may make no difference. Now derive whatever wisdom you may from this lesson, then. In stepping into uncertain waters, we test our speed and find what lies upon the wider horizon. Our time together grows short. Now, I want to take a moment to hear from you. Do you have questions you'd like answered on future installments or topics you wish to be discussed on Let's Be Frank? I encourage you to visit this website, bfranklinlive.com. That's the letter B, franklinlive.com. And as we close, I hope I may offer this solicitation. We here at Let's Be Frank are always looking for opportunities to travel. Franklin visited two continents and countless states in his lifetime. And here, in 2023, he wants to visit you. If you wish for a live presentation with the good doctor at your theater, your school, your event, write to the email inquiries at bfranklinlive.com. And my associates will make good to set up an appointment post-haste. Resources and images from this week's episode can be found in the journal section of bfranklinlive.com. If you like the show, subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest gossip and news. And do me the kindness of leaving a review. Follow and like us on Facebook at Let's Be Frank and Instagram at bfranklinlive. And finally, spread the word, listener. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your horse, I don't care. Let's make our intellectual junto grow. And now, dear listeners, our time together must come to an end. I want to thank you for joining me for this, our inaugural episode. Beginnings are beautiful things, like the sun rising on a brand new day. They are entirely derived of potential, for good or for ill. The advantage, dear listener to the end of this beginning is that we have nothing but time to share between us. Until we meet again, always remember, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Until we meet again, I remain your humble and obedient servant, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Stay curious, my friends. <laughs>